So welcome back to this podcast series where we're thinking about how we think about answering pharmacy related questions and the different types of questions that we might be asked. This time I thought I'd walk through how we'd think about IV compatibility questions. This is obviously more of a secondary care type of question but the principles of how you approach them are the same as for any others. So be organised, approach with a structure and above all don't panic. So hopefully there's something in here for everyone. As before, the way we're going to talk about it isn't the only way you can do things, but it does give you an idea of a structure to put your thoughts into, and hopefully means that when you get to the end of the question, you're more confident that you've done all that you can. So the scenario is that you're the on-call pharmacist for a hospital overnight, and someone calls to say they've got a patient on five different IV medicines, all sorts of lines, and they want to add in another medicine. What can go with what? So the first step is to get all the information you need in a way that you understand. Often, the person on the other end of the phone will fire all sorts of jargon at you. We've got a pick line with a three-way octopus for inotropes plus a peripheral cannula. Or, we've got a long line in, but it's a bit short, so we're going for a broviac, and then we'll have a triple lumen, but one's safe for bloods, plus two peripheral cannulas, but one's a bit ropey. The important thing is to take control of the conversation, as you need to be sure that you understand what you're working with. From a pharmacy perspective, you need to know... What lines do you have? From our point of view, there are only two types, central and peripheral. If the conversation gets complicated or they use terms you don't understand, just ask, so is that a central line? If it still isn't clear, you ask again. There's no shame in admitting you don't know what a subclavian line is. You know stuff that they don't, so they'll know stuff that you don't. That's the way the world works. So the question we get asked a lot is, what about midlines? So these are kind of a halfway house between a peripheral line and a central line. Now from a pharmacy point of view, if the person asking the question can't say they're treating it as a central line, treat the line as a peripheral line. As we said before, there's only two types for us, central and peripheral. Another question is what's the difference between lumens and lines? Sometimes they're used interchangeably and sometimes not. So a central line might have one lumen or it could have more. Different lumens stay separate all the way down the line, so it can be treated as a separate access route. A triple lumen line gives you three access routes that don't mix until it hits the circulation. It's always worth clarifying how many lumens do you have, rather than how many lines. The next question to ask is, what are you putting down the lines? And make sure that you ask about everything. The inquirer could tell you that they have a triple lumen central line, but forget to tell you that one's being used for TPN because they don't think of it as a drug. Also, ask how they're giving them. Are they continuous infusions 24 hours a day or are there breaks between doses? This becomes important later on. The next question is, what are you doing now? So asking this question is quite interesting as they may be mixing stuff already. You shouldn't assume that what they're doing now is right, but it might give you a starting point for thinking about the question when you're adding in another drug. And the last question that's often overlooked is, can you get more access? This is always relevant to ask. Extra access might be difficult, but it's often possible if it's really needed. There's no point trying to fit six things into two peripheral cannulas if they're going to theatre in 10 minutes for a central line. Once you've got all this information, the next step is to get organised. These inquiries are so much easier to tackle if you've got a structure. First of all, list out all the access you have and whether it's central or peripheral. You could also then put down what's on each line currently if you wanted. Next, set up a table for the medicines to work out what medicines need to go by particular routes and whether they're intermittent infusions or continuous infusions. 
Then finally, get a table set up so that you can fill in your research in a sensible way. If you list all the drugs along the top of the table and all the drugs down the side of the table as well, then what you can do is where the two lines cross, you can write the compatibility for that particular combination. It helps to organise your thoughts. So you're now sorted and ready to do some research. This is the easy but tedious bit. Have a look in the standard resources that you use in your hospital. So this may be Medusa, the National IV Guide, or Trissel, or local compatibility charts. The things you're looking for are what routes do things need to go by, whether the infusions have to be continuous or can be intermittent, and whether things mix happily. Fill in the tables as you go. At this point, you're probably thinking, how do I know if something needs to go centrally? Well, normally, it will tell you. Things needing to go centrally is the exception to the rule. So therefore, if it has to, it'll say in the write-up. A rule of thumb is that if the osmolality is over 600 milliosmoles per litre, or it has an extreme pH, it needs to go centrally, or you run the risk of causing irritation, hurting the patient, and losing the cannula early. This random osmolality number is twice the osmolality of normal saline, so if you forget it, just look up sodium chloride 0.9% and then double it. Or if you like maths, the amount of sodium in millimoles per litre is 154, the osmolality is double that, 308, so the limit is double that, about 600. Another question when you're looking at compatibility is what's the difference between Y-site and admixture compatibility, as the resources tend to split these two out. This is about where the solutions are mixing. Y-site compatibility is where things are in separate bags or syringes and only mix in the line. They mix at the Y-site. Admixture is where two things are added into one bag or syringe. Because things are mixing for a shorter time if mixed at a Y-site, the compatibility is likely to be better than admixtures. We don't recommend admixtures at all, apart from in some niche circumstances. You're looking for Y-site compatibility, as that's what you'll be doing in practice. However, if you find the combination is okay as an admixture, it'll be fine at Y-site too. Once you've done this, you're ready to make a decision. Firstly, from your research, is there a way that you can get away with not mixing the products? This is by far the best solution, even if you have compatibility information. Can intermittent infusions be run one after the other? You may need to change dosing times. If not, which drugs can go together? Note that the data you have is for mixing two drugs together, not more. But if A mixes with B, which mixes with C, which mixes with A, you can be fairly confident that they're all okay together. After this, can you match up the routes things need to go by with the compatibility information you have? Fill in the first table you made. ICUs tend to like to keep inotropes together and continuous infusions together, so use the combinations they're already using as a basis for your answer. If you can't find a combination that works, an acceptable answer is always, we don't have the data, can you try and get more access? If we don't know, we don't know. But don't use this as a get out of jail free card. We definitely need to check compatibility, as getting extra access isn't always the best option for the patient. So when there is a lack of information, one of the questions we get asked is, what about going to first principles and looking at the pHs of the products? So looking at pHs and things makes us feel scientific, but it's not actually that helpful in judging compatibility. If things have vastly different pHs, then they are likely to be incompatible. But things with a similar pH may not be compatible. You can't have much confidence in any answer you give from first principles, so it's probably better to admit we simply don't know. And then lastly, 
What if they say, well, we've always mixed A with B and it's always been fine? Well, incompatibility is weird and some things will be fine 10 times, but on the 11th precipitate out. So just because it's been fine so far doesn't mean it'll be fine going forward. However, equally, just because we don't have evidence doesn't mean that a combination is inherently unsafe. It just means that we don't know. So they can make the decision to continue to run it together, but we can't recommend it. It would be worth following up with the regular ward pharmacist to see if it needs investigating more later. And that's it. So hopefully it's given you an idea of ways that you can approach IV compatibility questions. And both for IV compatibility and other types of questions, shown that by following some sort of structure, either the one we've covered or your own, you can successfully filter out all the noise that's come in to get the question clear and then manage to pull together the information you've gathered to be able to give useful advice to the person who will have the job of putting what you recommend into action. And quite importantly, leave the question confident that you've done a good job and not missed anything so you don't worry about it later. Work out what the question is, then get organised, gather the information that you need and use a structure to pull the answer together. And most importantly, have confidence that though you don't know the answer at the start of the process, it's definitely not beyond your ability to get to a good answer at the end, no matter how horrific the question sounds at the start. Thank you and see you next time.